Hey, this is the DM Discourse, a podcast about D&D focused on the experience at the table from behind the screen. I'm your host, Daryl, and today I'm talking about the guided tour of your setting and how I've handled decision paralysis at the table. Between being shipwrecked, hounded by a giant shadow, trudging through tunnels and monsters, Alruden had been having a rough week. His troubles didn't even stop there. After finally reaching an inn to rest, recuperate, and procure a vessel to sail the swamp to their destination, they were accosted by sinister agents of the Prison Wizard, only later to be ambushed by snake folk. Although unrelated, there was a certain ill fate the sorcerer had found in this land. His current situation wasn't much better. They had finally made it to Fen's Keep and marched straight up the hill to meet with Baron Turvin Blackshield to deliver their package and be free of its burden. Of course, in the life of an adventurer, nothing is so simple. The Baron opened the chest in front of them, revealing an emerald gemstone that immediately pulsed and sent an energy wave that paralyzed the party's other two members and the Baron, leaving Ulrun alone to deal with the situation. And he didn't seem to know what to do. For all his tutelage under the sage Rajanakant, the sorcerer found himself dumbstruck, even without the spell paralyzing him. This enigmatic stone resonated with a strange glow and sound, as if absorbing and manipulating the world around it. His party members and the Baron were both trapped in limbo against this, but as if paralyzed by fear, Ulrun was not sure what to do. His spells? None proved effective against it, the energies fizzling against its surface. His doldrum continued as he fumbled amidst his pockets, trying desperately to look for an answer where there were none. As the agonizing moments moved forward, Skiji broke from the spell and, thinking instinctively, threw one of the cushions from the Baron's furniture upon the stone. Its spell receded and the natural state of the room returned. The winded Baron took a seat and a brooding mood came over him. Ulrun picked up the cushion and the stone lay dormant beneath it, Wait, that's all it took? The cleric patted Ulrun on the back. Don't think too hard next time. The simplest solution will likely prove the best. Well, I was hoping that maybe one of my spells or something could take care of it, see if that could have snapped you out of whatever what was going on. True, magic can be useful. The priest nodded. Ulmun's blessings have proved useful countless times, but it's a mistake to rely too much on a good thing. Speak for yourself, Pedwar said as he took a drink from his hip cask. Let's never do that again. As the group confirmed their recovery, the Baron studied a letter that had come along in the parcel bearing the stone. His brow furrowed the more he read, and when he looked upon the party again, it was with paranoia he had not felt since the first days of taking Fen's keep for his own. He threw the letter into the fireplace where it burned to cinders. The Baron swore he heard someone laugh at him as if in the outer darkness of the swamp surrounding his keep. He turned back to the adventurers, each whispering. Was it them? Did they laugh? 
You could have them killed easily and be done with this whole affair of the gem, but... Now that would not do. The letter had become nothing, but its words still burned into his mind like a warning beacon. He would not dare deny the demands of its author. I have a job for you three, he said. Perhaps they would perish along the way. All right, uh, quick disclaimer. The events I talk about in this backlog uh, actually happened before the previous episode, but I was out of town and didn't get a chance to work on this one prior, so it's coming out after that episode. It's not a big deal, um, but just wanted to give you guys a heads up when things start being mixed right from the get-go. So, uh, going back an extra session, it ended with the party regrouping with the Dawn Guard NPCs on the other side of the tunnels. The last enemy they fought, which was a, a Ma Demon, showed them one more uh, bit about my setting, and that was that demons were, uh, or elves were cursed in some way to become demons, depending on their actions that they had. I imagine it as something like a morality system from uh, the World of Darkness, uh, but thankfully none of my players actually have played an elf, so I haven't had to do any homebrew uh, to create actual mechanics for them to use, um, and that's great too. Uh, you know, you don't need to bother fully with something, at least, um, unless you want to or need to. Um, for now, I've just been filling it with elves turned into demons, and that's proved a pretty decent lore twist, um, and kind of important as the campaign's been going on and focusing on demons. But I'll talk your ear off about demons uh, further on as the campaign goes. For now, we're still in the early stages, and what I've started labeling as the guided tour. It's kind of like um, when you're at a theme park where on the ride it'll take you through its entirely planned route, uh, while you get to ogle at poorly aged animatronics, or at a museum where someone informs you of the exhibit so you don't have to bother reading the plaques. But my intent is never to make it feel like a strict railroad without player input. It's more like I'm just trying to show my players things to gauge how interested they are in something. Take the uh, next encounter that they had. After they hop on the boat to go into the swamp with the Dawn Guard, they run into a band of hobgoblin hag hunters. I made hobgoblins a major race in my setting as a recent change because I wanted to start working with traditional monster races, past them just being your typical villains, and I hadn't really done anything with hobgoblins throughout any campaign, so they seemed like a good pick. In my setting, they're distant genetic cousins of humans, and the reasons for the divergence differs depending on who you ask, but they have their own culture and identity separating them from traditional humans. Specifically, uh, they're more innately magic than humans, and have found a racial enemy in hags who sink their young in the gross way that hags usually do. So the group gets to meet these hag hunters, which alone clues them into one of the aspects of their culture. I don't force the NPCs to just volunteer information to the players during these moments. Instead, it's uh, more of a chance for them to ask things. The cleric, for instance, asks uh, what deity they worship, only to find out that the hobgoblins are actually atheists. What he does with this information will be up to him, but it still goes. Uh, it still gives me something to go off of, depending on how interested they are in that bit of information. The other NPCs, uh, the Dawn Guard that they had teamed up with um, from before, uh, took a backseat in this part so that the players get to drive the encounter as much as they want. It's a chance for them to, again, the idea of the guided tour, show how much they have an interest in a given topic or something that I'm introducing to them. Again, they're not obligated to just uh, instantly fall in love whatever it is that you're crafting. There's a bit of a social contract there that they will play the game that you're running, yes. But you 
can't expect uh, your brilliance or your genius uh, to be seen in the same light when you finally present it to your friends. Um, and that's not a bad thing either. Um, there's something about playing it that you're going to meet and uh, come together on. So don't don't worry about it if they don't, uh, you know, they don't drink the water just because you drag them to the river. After this, the players proceeded to an inn called Liege's Crossing, and there's no shortage of good stuff for you to put into a tavern. At this point, they parted ways with the Dawn Guard to look for a ride further into the swamp, specifically to their destination of Fen's Keep. Um, I like to give each tavern in my game a distinct physical feature to remember it by, so the crossing is built on a bunch of raised platforms over the swamp, with the best rooms being smaller cabins off to the side um, on their own platforms. The inn proper, uh, the main room itself, is actually two floors, the upper of which has an open view to the lower kitchen and docking area. There's also other parts of the dock that branch off in a kind of uh, haphazard design. Um, it's not the safest rest stop, but nothing in this part of the world really is, and that tends to be the case whenever you have somewhere that adventurers are going to want to go. Uh, it just so happens that there's a set of dangerous individuals here the same night that the party arrives. These are obfuscators, who are the agents of the prison wizard, serving as the antithesis of the Dawn Guard in my setting. They're infamous and far from home, but that's because the obfuscators are gathering information in the local area so that they can conquer the Drifting Isles and assimilate it back into the kingdom further down the road. For now, though, they're there to cause a ruckus and attempt to provoke the players. They run into one, uh, Pedwar, the dwarven monk, um, who shows there's no end to his sass and instead taunts them back, a memorable moment that the player got to make on his own, um, just bouncing back and forth. Not entirely scripted at all, just having these guys here looking for a fight. They didn't end up actually fighting, but nonetheless, it's, it's still made for a moment. Uh, meanwhile, outside, Olrun and Skiji are up to something that's a bit more important, acquiring a ride to Fen's Keep. Unfortunately, none of the uh, merchant ships are heading that way, so they do end up acquiring their own vessel, which is something I had planned for a while. I think at some point, just because they're in the aquatic area... I wanted to give them a boat so that they could have their own agency to travel where they wished, rather than having them pick up a ride wherever uh, they went. Especially since the first ship that they were on capsized, I figured I maybe owed them a favor. <laughs> um, but they do end up finding a boat. There's a seemingly benign fisherman, Kof Nizosk, who sells them a small boat, just big enough for them and maybe a crew of few more, uh, for 50 gold pieces. Um, not a whole lot of money, and I don't want to spoil anything here, but Kof... Uh, does come around later on in the campaign as a sinister force for the players to deal with. So um, that's one thing I think is, is really good. Do yourself a favor and take some simple NPC that the group meets and trusts early on. Give them some kind of reason to be a bad guy and have them show up further on as a uh, antagonist for the party. I can talk about Kof later on when he shows up in the campaign again, but for now he's just some old guy selling them a boat. I did give them one friendly NPC, though, uh, who is a dragonborn merchant who ended up becoming uh, part of their crew. His name's uh, Ziktanil. One of the players brought up how they were expecting some kind of different event to happen, perhaps becoming part of a crew for an established ship of a merchant. Um, so I tried meeting them halfway. Uh, on the spot, I made this clumsy, four-armed dragonborn who goes around selling trinkets and treasures that have ended up um, or that, and he has ended up becoming, uh, by far, the most popular NPC of the table, um, even for myself included. It's a lot of fun when I get to play him. 
Um, so I'm glad that he still follows the party around to this day. Nothing terrible has happened to him yet. Um, he's also uh, from the area, and he can inform them about the kingdom's history when needed. Um, has his own insights and opinions about the party's actions and the political climate. Um, but he's never strong enough for the group to rely on or discredit player agency. He also can't answer all of their questions. So if they're trying to get some information out of, you know, Daryl, the DM, just talking to Zyktanel doesn't guarantee they're going to get exactly what they're looking for. So yeah, he ends up being enough of a Tagalog companion without making the story about himself, which I think is, that's a good look for a companion NPC if your friends are inclined to just have someone follow them around or don't mind you making someone who follows them around. Their trip out on the boat had a couple encounters along the way, both planned, both furthering the idea of the guided tour. There definitely would have been merit to just have sped them along their way to their destination, cutting it short with a, um, a you're here, but I felt in their maiden voyage it deserved something a little special. There would be plenty of traveling down the road to just gloss the overcast days of path-walking drudgery. The first was a trio of Kenku, who are these uh, adorable little crow folk that can only be uh, speak by mimicking sounds and voices that they've heard. They're like uh, tape recorders with infinite storage. Rather than having the players roll history or nature checks, I had them, uh, the Kenkus that is, repeat things the party was saying back to them to show what their particular function or uh, characteristic is. Um, should the players have been nice to these vagabonds, they would have understood that they were being warned about the next encounter, uh, which had some Yuan-Ti, or uh, snake people, but not quite the same thing that you might be thinking of. Um, in interest of moving things along, though, Skiji, the cleric, ended up uh, sh essentially shoving um, these Kenku off the boat, since it sounded like they were just kind of begging for food. This proved to be a learning point for the other two newer players, they didn't have to wait for one player to finish their uh, quote-unquote turn in order to have their own thing that they wanted to do. Had they known that, they would have stepped in and stopped the cleric from harassing what could have been some new friends. Um, and that's also something good for me to know is that um, it's it's okay to, to recognize that, hey, your friends don't know this thing, and it's okay to definitely go back and maybe do a bit of a retcon. But it was pretty funny, and uh, we ended up moving forward from that encounter. The second was much more straightforward. A crashed ship needed some help with its repairs, and its crew seemed human enough. Of course, that's the thing about Yuan-T. The uh, purebloods, as they're classified, always seem human enough until you get too close for a look. The party did fall for it the first time, but it's always fun to bring back Yuan-T as a uh, major recurring villain in the game to get that fear going again whenever the party starts trusting me too much. Um, they ended up besting the Broodguard into Purebloods and made their way to Fen's Keep after that. It was a pretty straightforward encounter. Things got much more interesting after that. The final encounter of the night was marching right up to the hill of the town. Um, they arrived at Fen's Keep, docked their boat at one of the side ports surrounding the central keep that gives the town its namesake, and made their way right up the lane uh, to have this job all done and finished. They met little resistance at the door and were brought before Baron Turvin Blackshield, current ruler of the town. The recap uh, I opened with gives a pretty good idea of exactly what happened. They presented the parcel to the Baron only for the gemstone that was in it, which is actually the heart of a slumbering giant that lies beneath the keep, to paralyze all of those present in the room, except for one of the new players, Ulrun. And as you can probably guess from hearing the recap as well, um, it ended up taking... Uh, longer than expected to resolve that uh, whole event. 
Um, I think this came about because my friend uh, comes from a video game background, as do I, but I've been doing this for uh, a while. Uh, when we talked about it later, he said that he was trying to find an answer to the problem on his character sheet. He was trying to deal with this uh, by numbers. Um, that decision paralysis, which is definitely something I'm familiar with uh, when it comes to board games, can definitely kill the mood at the table if it all comes screeching to a halt because a player is unsure of what to do. However, I'll take the opportunity here to say that I think I could have helped him figure out what he could do and what the possibilities were. Uh, it's easy early on to think of D&D as just your character sheet and only think about solving problems by numbers or spells or attacks. But the honest truth is that the opportunity to flex your creativity is what makes D&D so unique compared to its digital contemporaries. And that's probably something I should have helped him realize more and coached him, or maybe not coached him, but guided him through, uh, going back to the whole guided tour. Um, and maybe I was wrong uh, to just expect that behavior to come instinctively. Um, but now I know going forward that it's always good to encourage your players if they're struggling. Um, it's good to check on your friends. And that's not just table advice. That's also life advice. It's good to check on your friends. See how your friends are doing. Following this, the Baron offered them a job, which is what the letter that he tossed into the fire indicated that he should get them to do. He offered them 500 gold pieces, I think. I can't quite remember what the amount was. Um, to go down to the bottom of the Halls Under the Hill, which is a sprawling uh, mythic dungeon, <laughs> um, and to reach the bottom and get to whatever's there. He lives, leaves the details sparse instead, just kind of talking about the reward and that they could keep whatever it is that they find. And, of course, being good sports and adventurers in need of a good-paying job right now, they do accept. So uh, next time, when we get around to talking, it's it's dungeon time. It's finally the dungeon time for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, but as for now, I think that's all I've got for uh, today. As always, thanks for listening. I really, really appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can reach me by email at dmdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at dmdcpodcast. Um, I hope this stuff is proving useful or interesting, but I'm definitely having fun making it. Um, and so next time with me, hope... Uh, talking about the party actually exploring a dungeon. I hope you come back around for that because I I think I have the wrong way to run dungeons. Um, so maybe you guys can give me some insight and tell, let me know what you think. Uh, but for now, take care and have a great week.